Hello and welcome to episode 51 of Just Keep Writing. A podcast for writers, by writers, to keep you writing. I'm Marshall. I'm Nick. And I'm Will. And with us again is the awesome Brent Lambert. Welcome back, my friend. How the heck are you? you? I'm great. Thank you for having me back. Happy to be back. We love these conversations, man. We'll keep bringing you back. And this this chapter is going to be a, a doozy, I think. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Will's going to guide us through in a minute. But um, should we... I forgot to ask you guys. Do we want to talk about Futurescapes at all before we... And let people sure. know that it's happening. And uh, we haven't talked about conventions in a while. So, Yeah, let's do it. So Futurescapes is doing another virtual online... Um, Another, this is their first uh, like virtual conference because, you know, the apocalypse of 2020 is reaching into 2021. We are going virtual um, and how Futurescape is set up. You um, have three classes. One is a crit review of 3,000 words of your work. Then you do a query letter review. And then you do a, uh, I believe it is a summary of the book review or it's a one page review of your uh, first page. Did I not read that right? Sorry. Go ahead, Nick. Uh, Did I not read the thing right? I thought it was a a synopsis. It could be, they change it every year. So it could be a synopsis or it could be a one page. I had the one page uh, in February when me, you and Marshall all hung out with Fran and it was great. What I really loved about Fran is that she just gives such great, and it's Fran Wild who has been on the show. Uh, she just gives great feedback in a way that is really helpful and um, uh, pinpointed and just offers great advice. And it's very uplifting. It's not about what you did wrong. It's like, well, let's, let's enhance this. Let's make it the best that it can be. And it's fun. I, I always, my groups at Futurescape have always been amazing. You might be selling me a little bit, Will, because I may or may not off mic have told you I might not do it. Um, but so this is just for the base price. And then there's other bigger workshops you can do, right? So everybody yeah. who signs up does those three smaller things. And then you can mm-hmm. sign up for like you're doing the beastly. I have the long. future. I have the week long manuscript review. Uh, mine is with Don Juan Song, uh, who is an agent. And then Ellie Fisher, who is a editor at Tour. I believe my 120-page full manuscript review is with Dong Wang, and my synopsis is with Ali, and then um, I have another class going more detail in about my query letter. Nice. And you've met Dong Wang before, right? Yes. Um, he was also at Futurescapes last year, and I did okay. get a chance to talk to him. And uh, my friend Sarah, shout out to Sarah, uh, <laughs> when she listens to this, had her manuscript review with him and said that it was amazing. Everyone that's taken a class with his review style has just said he gives the best um, feedback and the group is always wonderful. Well, he's awesome. We've, we've had the pleasure of uh, hanging out with him for a week on the boat. The last two years we went on the cruise and he's phenomenal. So anytime you can sit down with him and talk to him about writing or anything or agenting, he's he doesn't like try to find a way to get out of a conversation and he will sit there and he will, he will go through it with you. So good for you, man. I'm stoked for you. And I'm, I'm still considering, I have a couple more days to decide. So, Hey man, you but all three, it, all, all three of you guys doing it. Are you doing it, Brent? Right? Yeah, I'm doing it. Yeah. I uh, bought my ticket last week. Yeah. Last week. All right. All right. I Wait, might Marshall, I'm with week. you. I applied for the scholarship this year. 
And so if I can get the scholarship, I'll go. If I don't get the yeah. scholarship, you know, it is what it yeah. is for me right now. But sure. also too, like I get when everyone says they're virtually um, workshop fatigued because I think all of us on some level are fatigued on Zoom and just, you know, all, all of us have been doing a lot of workshops in some type of way I, or, you know, yeah. Brent, the baller over here has been like running a whole convention. <laughs> Literally and running the workshop in conference. Yeah, and it's like <laughs> blowing up and like, you know, just, you know, we're just like, we're just the minions with him. Okay. <laughs> Uh, well, it's like all those writing excuses events and then FireCon and then I did a oh, yeah, you're another one. You're doing yeah. stuff with writing excuses. I mean, like really? And then I did another conference in August locally oh. online. Mm-hmm. And then um yeah, so it just was not appealing for me to like be like, oh, how long do I gotta sit in front of a computer again? Because I'm also a teacher who sits here all day in front of a computer screen trying to teach people. So um I'll, I'll, I'll suck it up. I think I might do it. I'll, I'll decide in the next couple of days. So, um, but anybody else to trying to decide, um, that's a perfect way to kind of nutshell what the convention is about. So get in there and do it. So, and we'll put the show in our, we'll put the website on the, uh, show note links. Yeah. I'll put the link in there. No problem. Um, Great. all right, Will. so besides following us on social media and sharing with your friends and liking us and all that stuff, which we always say, and join our Patreon, patreon.com. Slash just keep writing. All right. So let's get into this. Will, you're driving the ship. I'll turn the reins over to you, sir. Thank you. So tonight's topic is going to be about generate compelling narrative questions. Uh, And I'm going to read a quote uh, from Johnny Cochran. An opening statement is like a guide or roadmap. It's a very delicate thing. So we're going to talk about select your narrative question. Your narrative question lays out the promise of the story. It alerts readers to the underlying question that will be answered by the end of the story. For this reason, it needs to appear early on. It is the single most important factor in determining whether your story gets read. So what is an effective narrative question? If your narrative question is weak, vague, unclear, muddied, boring, or delayed, you'll lose readers. If it's vivid, clear, compelling, intriguing, and immediate, you'll keep readers. There's no way to frame narrative questions that can be delivered with a punch or woven gently into description or dialogue. Make your decision based on your voice, your writing style, your genre, and reader expectation. So with that, I want to ask the three of you, after, you know, reading this chapter, um, what is your narrative question in your current work in progress? Uh, so I, th- I knew you were going to ask this question and this is something that has come up in, especially around the writing excuses folks. When I listen to their podcasts and their, their stuff on the boat and stuff, it's, they, t- they kind of phrase it more, less questions, but more, what promises are you going to keep kind of thing? Right. And I find this really it a little bit of a game changer when you when I go back to read the opening of my book because I w- I've had it workshopped a couple of times and I feel like the reason people have some of the questions they have is because this isn't clear enough, right? I know the question in my head is what why are the grin here and what do they want? Right? That's part of it. 
And then the other one has, has to do with my main character. Um, basically how is he connected to them? Right. And I don't know if that's, I know that doesn't come through in the first chapter for sure. And so I'm worried a little bit, but uh, the questions are in my head at least. So did I answer the question? Um, I think you partly did, but I want us to frame it in, um, I think, uh, so I've read Marshall's um, opening chapter. I think that's your opening chapter, right? That you're going to start off with? Okay. Yeah. Because I'm playing off the Beowulf thing, I start with a prologue. So it's, it's just a kind of a prologue in name alone, just to mirror the, the original text really. Okay. I mean, I think that's chapter one. I don't think it needs to be a prologue personally. Um, right. But it does. I feel like you do start forming a question through the introduction of your novel. Is it as strong as you want it to be? I mean, that's, I think that's up for discussion. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? I do. Um, so talk to me, um, Nick, tell me what your question is for your work in progress. So I'm struggling with that now that you're asking me that because one, um, I know I have to redo my opening because I'm not satisfied with it. Um, and I've actually okay. changed my opening scene three times. I think that's so. uh, personally, I think that's really normal. Oh, um, God. when you're, I do, I think that's great. I think it's important. I guess what I love about this chapter and, and asking questions is that we're also going to be asking questions of ourselves as writers about what we're trying to deliver mm-hmm. and are our readers asking the questions that we want them to ask. Right. Right. And Nick, when you say you, you've changed your opening scene, have you rewritten the same scene or you've started no. the novel in three different places? So current <laughs> three different places. I have three different okay. character like intros and things like that. Um, one of them that I actually works to shop that future escapes two years ago. Um, you know, the, it, it basically it's a world building scene, right? And things that come into play are the government. Why isn't the government helping with certain things when they should be? Like a dragon's attacking the city, but no one's helping us out. That Why would be we- called socialism. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's just for anyone who's a little conservative. socialism. That's funny. Uh, so my, and this is why I want to rewrite it, right? Because right now it starts off with um, my main character is going in for a psych evaluation in this world. If you have a mental health disorder and you are in a government agency at all and you are struggling with things such as PTSD or anything like that, um, you are put on administrative leave, quote unquote. um, And it talks about administrative leave for them is a bullet to the brain. So the I, I ramped up my consequence there. To the, to the extreme. Um, and it, there's a point behind that for myself just to kind of open up the the area and conversations of PTSD. Um, but that's what I want to kind of focus on my rewrite now um, is drawing that out more of, of uh, the, the stigma talking about mental health and things like that, especially when it comes to veterans and things like that who have suffered that. Um, and so that's, that's what I want to draw out more. Um, and I also want to make a, a, like, draw on laws and regulations um, and, like, what makes a bad guy a bad guy. 
the fact that they got caught or not, or if it's the law says they're good, they're good. If the law says they're bad, they're bad, even though morally it doesn't line up. Um, so yeah, I want, I, I need to rewrite. And I told you guys this too. I actually just finished my first draft. So I'm using this book as my notes and like highlighting <laughs> stuff to say, Hey, refer to this book on this section, um, for a rewrite. So hopefully I answered your question. Well, sorry, Nick, I actually want to recommend a book and I really think everyone who's doing any type of world building in a genre or non-genre, read this book. It's called Cast, The Origins of Our Discontents by Isabel Wickerson. Um, Brent, you're laughing. Did you read it? I have it and I bought it and I've heard like great things. I just haven't had a chance to get to it yet. But yes, I'm I've read it 13 times. You've read it 14 times. Is it, it Cast K C A S T or C A S T E? It's a nonfiction book. Okay. And it talks about the caste system here in the United States. I think what is great about it is that um, it is nuanced. It uh, talks about a society-wide system of social stratification characterized by notions such as hierarchy, inclusion, and exclusion, and purity. Hmm. She gives examples of caste systems in India and Nazi Germany. and she. Um, looks at the societies that also shaped them and how it parallels to what's happening in the United States. And I think when, um, oh, it's an, it's an Oprah book club as well. It is. She did an interview <laughs> on Oprah on her um, TV on Apple TV. I would also say that for people who come from the ideology, which mastering plot twists, uh, chapter two, we talked about this. Mm -hmm. Um, of that if you question America, that you're un-American or that you hate America. And that is actually the most American thing you can do is question our social structures because that is what we really, when you distill what we are about, that's what we are about. Now we just need to make things better. Um, so I always, I've literally, I have read this book 14 times. Um, the first time was for pleasure. The other times were to pick things up and to analyze them. And also I, a lot of the resources that she mentions in her bibliography, I pulled apart, uh, some of the specialists because she, her, herself is also a, uh, specialist in this field, Okay, but I wanted to pull more work and really dig deep and it's fascinating. And it's given me a greater sense of how to world build. So I think, Nick, you specifically for what you want to do and the questions that you want your readers to ask and that you are trying to funnel through a lens of a uh, science fiction fantasy piece, I think this would be really powerful. And if you can't read it, listen to it because even the audiobook is amazing. Like oh, it just I'll depends definitely. what type you are. Because some people can't read nonfiction because it makes them fall asleep, but they can listen to it. They can watch a documentary. So Use whatever sources that you can that's going to um, widen your perspective. Yeah, no, I definitely, um, definitely going to pick that up. I've got it written down, and I will do. I will do both. I'll do audio, and then I'll grab a hard copy for study as well. I also, I also think um, another book if you are trying to world build or or get a system of suppression in a so called freedom country is the classic book called nickeled and dimed 
I don't know if has anyone ever read that book. Marshall, have I, you I, read it? I, I used to work in a bookstore. I've seen that book a million times. I never read it though. Um, Brian, have you ever gotten to read no, it? No, I actually haven't had a chance to read that one. Oh, it's um by Barbara. Um, I might be saying her name wrong, so I apologize. It's Barbara Enreich. And it was written um from her perspective as an under undercover uh journalist in nineteen ninety-six. Um actually it was like ninety-nine maybe. She actually did she actually went under it. Oh, let me correct myself. It was between <laughs> spring of nineteen ninety-eight and summer of two thousand. Okay. And the book was first published in the year two thousand one. Um it talks about how she took a job as a waitress that was forty hours a week and that was hard working and painstaking and she still couldn't afford just herself it's crazy and it takes a lot a look at our systems of oppression so again if you're looking for something to world build and you want to ask questions then i always say go to the most um go to a nonfiction source Mm-hmm. and get data. And then what's great about Nickel and Dimed, it's written in a way like a memoir as well. Mm-hmm. So it's also giving you a personal narrative. Cool. So Brent, let's go to you. What questions do you feel like your work in progress, something you've either written or that you're writing now asks? I'll go with the one I'm writing now. So um, some of the questions it asks is, uh, what sacrifices does keeping power require of you? Um, it also asks, is there a limit to the sacrifices you can make for someone you love? And I think it also asks too is, um, what victims do we create in trying to seek justice? So those are like three of the questions I think that like what I'm dealing with now because what i'm writing now is um it's a reimagining of the trojan war but i'm changing that a couple well i'm changing actually i've changed a lot of it but um the central thing i'm changing is the idea of hector and achilles instead of him being i wanted it to be um rivals well for, so basically i'm changing it up where like they had a love affair at some point right and so now they're both on the opposite sides of this war and they're having to navigate that scenario and what that looks like and yeah i mean i'm having i'm having a blast with it but um those were kind of the questions i wanted to ask and some of the questions a couple of those questions actually started bubbling up as i was planning it so i didn't even necessarily plan on it right away so it was more you feel like those questions arose just in the pure style of the way that you were telling the story. Yeah, like some of the like and then with this one this is like my first project I've ever drafted in a non-linear fashion, so it's very different for me cuz I'm actually like writing scenes out of order. So in doing that I think I've I've kind of seen like the threads I want to, the themes I feel like are coming up for me a lot quicker that way than as opposed to if I was writing something out in a linear fashion. I don't know why that is. I can't explain it, but yeah, this project is doing some different things. Sounds I love good that. Today. I think that's I have a question. Uh, this will probably come up later, but I once we get a little deeper into the chapter, I have a question about uh, 
I guess introducing questions later in the book. Like if you have, like, for example, I guess I'm asking the question now, if I have, I have another POV character that doesn't come in for a little bit into the book. So do I get a second? So I guess what I'm asking is some of those questions obviously are carried through, but she's dealing with her own set of questions and promises that come along with that character too. Right. So if you have a lot of POV shifts, for example, like should those, should those questions be really obvious right up front if it's coming later? Cause this, this chapter really focuses on those, those questions coming up when like, right when you start the story. Right. Um, are, are we talking more overarching questions for the whole book or does it, are there questions that come down with, as you change POVs and characters, right? You see what well, I'm saying? Yeah, I understand what you're saying. So I'm going to jump in, then everyone can give their opinion. Um, what I would say is, is that you have to think about the totality of the book, right? You have your central main question of what's the the overall reaching arc of the story. And then as you introduce different POVs, you are going to have these other questions come up. But to me, thematically, the most things that are most satisfying in stories is how those personal questions of the different POV interconnect to the overreaching arc of the story. And I'll say this. um, That's what I was kind of insinuating, like making, keeping that thread, but having other things come up as the characters progress too, right? Exactly. And I think I'm not that far into Brandon Sanderson's The Way of Kings, but I can already see with Kaladin and Shalana, Shalana, how do I say her name? Shalana. Shalana, um, How their questions of power, who has it and who doesn't, already is coming into play. And you guys can say if I'm wrong, but this is what I'm gathering as a reader of these are the questions that could be being asked in the book series. Uh, and you're right because, and, and, and Brandon deliberately, I mean, if you talk, listen to him talk about how he's crafted these, that world, that those, those books specifically, um, he has these things in mind and has a set of promises that he plans on keeping. And those questions um, are absolutely, you're absolutely right on track. And so that's, and he does that. He does it really well. And when he's lecturing and talking about these things, that's what he's insinuating is to go back and look at how he does that. Um, especially in something like the way of Kings, right? Because he has these other POV characters, but they're like you said, they're questioning the world that stuff carries through, but there's also obviously the issues that the characters are dealing with as well. So this, the question also, I'm going to, I'm going to point the same question towards me about what questions were being asked. And I'm actually going to ask you guys what you think of this opening scene. I'm going to read it to you. It's not that long. Um, Does this, I don't feel like this is maybe the overreaching question of the story that I wrote, but I feel like does this pique your interest enough to keep moving and start asking you questions about the world? Okay. So I'm going to just read you this part. Tell me what you think. You're killing the human race with your cancer that clones created. The woman jumped in front of a Tondua as he was trying to get into the lab. Her eyes were bloodshot. 
tears falling from her face, and he could feel the animosity radiating off of her. Security guards were doing their best to try and calm the protesters. One of the guards grabbed the woman forcefully, too hard, and Atandua placed a firm grip on the man's shoulders. Does that intro paragraph ask questions for the reader? It, it, it causes me to wonder what the situation is, why, why Atanda was there, and what the woman's dealing with and what the protests are about. So if that's what you're going for, you got that. And it's also the way that that starts. Definitely want to keep reading. So I think you nailed that as well. It, it also sets, um, it sets up stakes really quickly, right? You find out where there's, there's death and there's someone being blamed for it. And when we think of protests, we obviously think of a certain kind of power dynamic, right? We're thinking of people that don't feel like they have a say-so in society. And so they turn to protest as a way to get their message across, right? So I think you do a lot of, it's great word economy because it does a lot of work and tells me a lot without having to actually specifically state like, oh, well, these protesters are mad about this. Like, we don't necessarily need to know the details. We just know that there's a power struggle. Cool. Because that's what I kept thinking about when I read it. Does this, does the opening intro start asking you as a reader about what is going on in the world? Can you read that first line again? Sure. You're killing the human race with your cancer that clones created. So I like your opening line um, because it's asking multiple questions there. Laws and regulations to me, right? Medical research. What type of bunk ass experience did you do and what do we have because of it? Use the word cancer. That's not a word to be taken lightly. And so it could, in both senses, you're saying cloning is a cancer, as in the idea of it is killing our society, or literally cloning people is causing cancer in others. Um, and so I, I feel like you're you're asking multiple questions there, just in that opening line. She's she's angry. She's blaming one person, and then and then she's laying it out like you're a cancer to society or you are causing cancer on the society like you're what if this person is now causing the death of millions for selfish reasons and so that's Mm kind of what i turn to is is that opening line and i want to add one thing to this because i'm not sure exactly where you want to go next will but on on page 95 in this book i underlined the very last line because it basically says from this one pivot point come all plot twists. So if you're going to do, if you're going to have any sort of plot twists whatsoever, they have to tie in with, with the with the questions that you're or promises you're making in the beginning of the text. And and Nick's absolutely right. If you're if if you're and you said earlier, if your story is going to get read, these have to be right away because otherwise people will put it down because it's boring because nothing's happening and they're not curious. It's about curiosity for the reader at this point, right? I mean, if they're picking up your book and they're starting to read it and they're asking questions and they're interested, 
they're going to, they might keep, they might keep reading. Right. Um, so I think that's why the, the chapter kind of dissuades the reader from, or dissuades the reader of this book that we're talking about of starting with not saying you can't start with a place or setting or whatever, but something has to be happening to cause a question. If it's just somebody sitting, looking at a sunset, there's nothing going on there. Right. Yeah. So while the, I'm going to read this from the book, while the narrative question doesn't have to be introduced in the first line, the earlier it appears, the better. The most effective openings are unusual, evocative, emotional, and incident-based. Let's look at these factors independently. So when I read that, I kept thinking, now, automatically, like what I just read from myself is a short story. It's not a novel. So I need um, questions of life and death automatically thought in the reader's mind, because that's kind of the theme of Mm -hmm. the short story. Um, Nick, were you going to say something? I felt like you were going to say something. I, so I've read this story a few times and your new opening. Now you have this very upset lady. You are asking all these questions. And then all of a sudden Atwanda, um, I hope I'm saying that right. You're saying it right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Atwanda is, Telling the security guard, hey, you're being too rough with this lady who's raging at me. Now I yep. want to know even more why she's so mad at such a soft, sweet man. So, yeah. Now I just want to, I was going to highlight that at the end too. Your characterization on that is on point with where I know you want to go with it. So, thanks. Thanks. I appreciate that. I think the fact that you brought up that that's a short story is really important too because first lines in a short story are make or break for whether one, if it gets published, but also if someone's going to keep reading, right. Um, you know, it's a bigger commitment to buy a novel, but a short story, I mean, they talk about first lines and how important that is and adding that along with inciting questions and having people asking questions is, is super important. So, so I just want to go over the, um, the four factors of what, uh, Jane talks about. She says, unusual. Publishers want stories that they haven't seen before. Think about it. If what you write isn't unusual, it will read as unoriginal. Evocative. The best writing thrusts you into a memory or a feeling or a mood. It evokes something sensory-based and relatable. Emotional. Never neglect story. Don't get so involved with your people that you forget plot. And the best plots, as we've discussed, are infused with longing and conflict. Incident-based. Don't start with backstory, memory, or reflections. Start with action. Action doesn't necessarily mean a car chase or a shoot 'em up moment. It refers to any incident, any event that sets your plot in motion. So when you look back at those four things, I think, and I hope for anyone who's listening, the unusual part when uh, she talks about uh, publishers want stories that they haven't seen before. People are automatically going to say, well, everything's been written, which is true. The idea, (laughs) though, is your voice, your own voice as a storyteller, your own perspective as a human being is radically different than anyone else's. And that is what they're looking for. So I think when we think of unusual, we want to also put in there that of your voice. Is your voice uniquely your own or are you regurgitating something that's been told to you? Right. Yeah, I tell people, I tell 
well, younger writers, I guess, sometimes I'm like, you know, it's authenticity over originality. Like that's that's what you're looking for. Like don't try to be original, try to be authentic. And that's that's where you succeed. Yeah, I think that's that, I think that's awesome advice for sure. God, look, Brent again, back to back episodes, <laughs> dropping knowledge. Like, listen, I guess all my friends have something to comment about each of you. Um, <laughs> oh, Brent uh, drops the knowledge bomb. Uh, my friend November wants to masturbate to Marshall, uh, his voice. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, Nick, everyone just says Nick is hilarious. Oh, he's that's, the, that's he's the dumb little me. white kid in the group. Just don't listen to him. Oh, <laughs> uh, you guys um, are awesome. So, so I guess you know um, all of the. After like reviewing this, it made me think about you know my own work and are these questions being answered, you know, or asked, you know, are these questions being asked? So then I wanted to turn it over to. Um, books that you've recently read or a short story that you've recently read that you feel like really captured you as far as the questions being asked in the beginning. Can you think of any off the top of your head that you've read recently that was like, ah, that actually asked those questions early on and set up everything? I'm going to go with Sour Milk Girls by Aaron Roberts. Um, and I don't have the text pulled up in front of me because we'll just asked it and it came to my head, but, um, there was so that her opening scene alone, um, in an orphanage and how the girls treat each other and say certain things where they're giving you some context, but not con no context at all at the same time really pulled me in and really made me want to know what X was in the, in the story. Um, so I, that's the first one that came to my head on a short story. Uh, I have it up here right now. And if you missed our interview with Aaron Roberts, where we talk about this story, uh, I can't remember the episode number off the top of my head, but take a look, look for her name in, uh, in episode, what, a dozen episodes back at least or so. Yeah. It's the community um, chat with Aaron Roberts. I think it's episode Roberts. 32. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, the opening is, it's, <laughs> should I just read the first couple of lines? Since you brought it up. Okay. So it says, um, the new girl showed up to the agency on a Sunday, looking like an old dish rag and smelling like sour milk. Not that I could really smell her from three floors up through the mesh and bars, but there's only three types of girls here. And she was definitely the sour milk kind. So we're talking about, I mean, there's like at least 15 questions in my head and I've read this story. <laughs> right. So, it's pretty cool. So that's and it's on Clark's World. You can find it for free. It's on their website. You can check that out if you want to uh, check out that uh, story. Barry and Roberts. She's awesome. Brent, do you have anything that comes into mind that you've just read that you're like, oh, this like totally achieved what we're talking about? Um, I would say the Shadow Saint, which I read last month. Um, it just really did a good job, like right up front establishing the question of um like what what lasting scars does religion have on a society Ooh. and it just it just does that very well and i mean this, of course it does in a really fantastical way because you have gods that are actually manifesting and they're present and they're you know they're a thing but 
I think it does it very well. It weaves, it doesn't just ask the question in the beginning, but it weaves its way through the whole story. So it's like everything that's happening, even when it gets really weird and really fantastic, it's still focused on that like one question. I've got I've got another one. Well, if you have time, I have t- I have time, and then I'll tell you mine. Yours might be the same thing as mine, actually. They're, these are weirdwood. Oh, I wasn't going to mention that one, but that's yeah, such a good I, one. I, I, so I, it's on my so shelf creepy. up here. I yes, love Christian. I, so Christian McKay Heidegger, these are weirdwood. I won't even read this book to my kids. It's it's crazy. I'm going to read the opening one and on the prologue here. Um, and it and it's dated Kingsport, 1907. And I'm not Marshall, so I apologize to anyone out there. Um, I'm gonna. I'm gonna <laughs> my friend do my best. Gonna be so upset. <laughs> I'm gonna do my best, Nick. Okay, that's all I can do. What you got? <laughs> One light rainy evening in April, eight-year-old Marie Wallace got the most pleasant surprise of her life right before she got the worst one. Marie was walking home from her aunt's house. When she passed a dark alley and heard a tiny voice, Mama. Yo, right there, man. What else do you need? Like, (laughs) I quit. I'm not reading that book. I refuse. I'm a chapter. I I got a chapter in. I was like, I'm hooked. Like, oh, hell no. I'm I'm all right. Get out of me. Yeah, Ugh, I no. read that to my seven and eight year old boy, and I, I was saw. like, "Oh!" And they're like, "What? What's going on, Dad? Is that doll possessed?" Yeah. Uh, so my suggestion is going to be, um, since nobody was going to ask me, but I'm going to throw it out there anyway. Um, and and it's mostly because it's just the first paragraph. It's one sentence. There's a colon in there, but and because we've had her on the show, um, Riverland. Um, oh, yeah. that was mine. I had it right here. <laughs> well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull, I'm gonna jump ahead of you, and I'm gonna read the first uh, paragraph. If you don't, mind. don't worry. I have another one just in case that happened. <laughs> hey, Marshall, you do, do you need to take a drink of water or something? No, no, I'm good. Thanks, buddy. I mean, okay. I mean, <laughs> I, I just want to make sure you're super sexy. Okay, I'm just reading one sentence. Okay, so it says, "Sisters Eleanor and Mike know the rules of the house. They can't talk about the house magic." And when their parents begin to argue, they have to hide under the bed until the voices die down. There, I mean, if we're talking about questions, okay, so apparently there's magic. There's Something's house going magic. On with parents. I don't know what house magic is. And holy crap, are these kids hiding from their arguing parents? So it's insane how much she does in this one sentence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's crazy. Agreed. Sorry, I stole yours, Will. It's okay. You did steal mine. But like that book, Brian, I don't know if you've ever read Riverland, but it is a really, it is a really beautifully written book. And it really reminds me of the power of words. And it is just as good, if not better than what Neil Gaiman has written. I really believe that. Is it wrong if I haven't actually read anything by Neil Gaiman? No, well, it's okay. Not. You're you're not alone no, in that, fine. Nick. I mean, I think I've read yeah. one short, maybe, but yeah, I haven't read. I, I haven't read. I, it. I, I haven't if had you've an interest. Read Neil Gaiman. The thing is, is about the way Neil Gaiman's prose is. It's very poetic. You know, he paints a really great story, like he's a myth teller. 
especially with um I forget the one book. I'm gonna I wanna say the books of magic, but it's something different. Um Is it the cemetery one? The cemetery one, the cemetery book. That's um, the only one I've I, of his that I want to read. But the way that he uses words, you know, um it really is evocative of a myth. And with Riverland, Fran writes so beautifully. And in a lot of ways, it's not using overly flowered language. Mm-mm. You know, it's really getting to the essence of the story of Eleanor and Mike and Riverland that is so compelling. It is a yeah. book. And I said this to Fran, and we've I said this on the um on the podcast. I hope it is this type of book that people keep discovering because the message in it and the situations in it are timeless. It deals with abuse in families in a way that has never, in my opinion, been done so eloquent, eloquent, eloquently and with such compassion and thought. Well, that and if you go back to the interview that we have with Fran, she even mentions she talks about abuse in the way that schools didn't education didn't like abuse is this little bubble is how people always describe it where there's bruises there's always fighting and there's broken bones like there's cops being called all the time and reality is that's not the majority of it and that wasn't her experience either um so i and coming from uh i mean i was young but my my biological father was abusive to my older brother i mean um i don't have any recollection or knowledge of it but it was the same thing and that's why my mom left uh, is, you know, it was abuse, but it wasn't, it didn't show up in bruises or broken bones or anything like that for us. Yeah. Like it was starvation. It was not getting nutrients, like things like that. Um, so I, I Fran, Fran writes beautifully and I feel like the way she wrote the book is just the way she talks in that interview too. It just flows. I could listen to her for hours. Like, um, and she's, She's well well versed in a lot of things. Well, none of your recommendations have failed me yet, so I will go ahead <laughs> and just go run and grab that. Grab the book. <laughs> so my next book that um, since Marshall took my, my first, well, I had both of them out just in case because I felt like one of us was going to mention Riverland. Um, mine is um, actually Akata Witch by Nettie Akorifer. Has anyone read that one? No. Oh well, this is the book. This is the original cover. The other the new covers change. But what I love about this is that even in it is the quote when you open up the book that really makes me start questioning. And I don't know if it's I don't I don't know. I I mean I'm sure it was intentional, but it just made me think, oh, this book is gonna be fun and also um different. It was um here in the new venture, the extraordinary, the magical, the wonderful, and even the strange come out of the ordinary and the familiar. Wizard of the Crow by Nugugi Wa Thiong. Oh, and it's um, Nisbiti for Journey. Hmm. So just in that little content, I felt like it was giving me the unusual. But at the same time, it was also an unusual and a familiar, you know, and I think of the four and it's evocative and it paints emotion, 
you know, and it's already telling me that something is about to happen. So I felt like that was just a really great hook because quotes don't always do that. Sometimes they're just like, why'd they put them in here? But this one I felt really strongly about. I really loved it. Can you show me the cover of that again? I think my wife bought that book. I think she has um, it. This is the this is the original cover. The new okay. covers are awesome, but this is the first edition of the book. Okay, I've seen I, the name of it before. I think I think she's got that book. I've been a fan of Nettie since I think I've read uh, "Who Fears Death," which is a um, is actually HBO's making it into a a series. Have you ever read? Um, anyone has ever read Nettie Acorfer? All right. Well, we can talk about this one last part then, and then we can end here and carry on another episode. Um, Build worlds, not stereotypes. Oh, I like this In a fantasy novel, for instance, don't think you need to base your magical world on a traditional medieval society, white people. Come up with something new and unexpected. If you can use an actual culture as a jumping off point, Add surprising details. Don't rely on cliches. And of course, don't be derivative. Mm -hmm. Develop a logical history that predates your timeline. Being able to slip in a sentence or two about one of your invented historical events will go a long way towards boosting the credibility of your world. Setting is an essential component in storytelling, and sometimes it can serve as the foundation of plot twists. Indeed. Uh, so talk to me, bitches. Um, what, um, what are some settings in, uh, say, science fiction or fantasy have you read that suddenly it, like, flipped it on its head? I bet you me and Brent are going to think of the same one. Mm, yeah, pretty sure. Ugh. Well, I don't want to take it. Maybe not. I don't want to put it. I don't want to put I don't want to put No, you can take it. Go ahead. Take it. I, mean, I, I have plenty. I don't know. I probably won't though cuz I'm going to go weird. I'm going to go with the Well, actually no. You know what? Um let me do this one. Okay, so something that took a setting and totally flipped it on its head for me was uh the first book in the craft season. All right. He took a typical late capitalism corporate setting and he flipped it with necromancers as lawyers and god godly contracts and all these things right he took what he took something very mundane and boring like law is one of having friends who are lawyers like law is boring as hell so having somebody being able to take that and flip it into a fantasy setting i always thought was really inventive uh, I like that one. The Craft Series by Max Gladstone is really good. He does a great job, too, of writing so inclusively. And it is so natural because, well, you know, when you live in the real world, um, unless you live somewhere where there's nothing other than what you are, um, should be written that way. And that's what I love the way that Max writes because yeah. it feels like I'm in New York. And he just manages to take these really, he challenged me to like think that no subject is, is too boring to be applied into genre. Cause like his first book is about contract law. The second book is about water rights. And I think he has a book about zoning law and he manages to take all these things that on paper are really freaking boring and, and turn them into these epic stories. So he's definitely an author that 
I was very happy to be mentored by. Well, also just to kind of like challenge my own imagination in, in terms of like what genre could actually be. That's uh, awesome. I'm going to Marshall. I'm going to go with, um, uh, I have some, I have a couple of others I'm thinking of, but I'm actually going to go with the first book in Dan Wells's series. I'm not a serial killer. Um, mostly because the first chunk of the book is, you know, about the kid he's dealing with his feelings about being a serial killer. And as you lead up, you just think it's just happening in the regular world. And then there's something that happens. And all of a sudden there's a full on demon killing someone. And you're like, Holy shit, this is going to get crazy. And it's like, I love when books, especially when they kind of wait a little bit and they hold off just a little bit to say, okay, this is actually what the world is and what's going on. And just this character and you know, pretty much. So enjoy. And that's, I don't know. I think that was pretty, I thought that was pretty cool how he did that. So. Yeah. It sounds horrific. <laughs> oh, it, it, oh it is. Like, like you, you're like, you have, this, you have a kid wrestling with um, feelings of trying not to be a serial killer. He's working in a, in a morgue, you know, embalming bodies. And then he witnesses his neighbor turn into something and spoilers, obviously um, this book's really old, but, but I mean, it's, it comes out. It's even if you read it now, you'd be like, well, that couldn't Marshall's full of shit. Uh, and then when it <laughs> happens, like, Oh damn. Okay. That's, and then the whole series is nuts. I love it. I, I was pleasantly taken by surprise on that one. Uh, when that happened, like, cause I knew it was a good series. I was really getting into it um, because of the struggle that he was having. Um, with wanting to kill people. Um, <laughs> knock, knock. I can relate somehow. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, it just, just his thought process was really like, oh man, like I'm, I'm in this with this kid. And then you're like, dude, old man Crowley, you're going to die. No. <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> yeah, no. So it's, that's a, that's a great series. What is besides that one, Nick? What can you think of a book that you've read that flipped it for you? Uh, but so let me ask you this: When you say flipped it, do you mean totally took a a setting and did something different with it? Or yeah, okay. Um, or what? What was the other or? I cut you well, off because earlier you mentioned um, basically books that aren't based on white. Anglo-Saxon culture and things like that, right? And I immediately divert to, okay, things that aren't Lord of the Rings type setting mm-hmm. uh, and things like that. And I'm actually going to bring up, uh, uh, I got to pull up the title because I'm going to mess it up. It's by Emily R. King. Um, and she actually writes in uh, Southeast Asian, India type Indian um fantasy and i think it's called the the hundred queen i'm pulling it up right now uh yes the hundredth queen um yeah so i i got that on audible a couple about a year ago now um but yeah that i went out of my way to find a setting that was not anglo-american um to where it wasn't based off British culture or anything like that from back in the day that a lot of fantasies are. I want to see more outside of the Sui Davies, mm-hmm. David Mogo, right? Uh, 
Tomi, and I'm not going to pronounce her last name off the top of my head. Um, Adeyemi. Adeyemi, yes. Children of Blood and Bone, right? Like, I love those because they're not set in the typical fantasy realm, but they are fantasy books. Um, and Ken so Liu. It, yeah, David Mogo is amazing. That book is so cool. Yeah, so that's so when you asked that, I was like, cool, I want to what, what are books outside of that specific setting rather than just flipping it? Um, because I think we need more. And me personally, I want more of it. Um, I, I like that stuff. Uh, I like reading outside of sitting in the forest with a bow, <laughs> drawing it back underneath the bush. <laughs> Those of you not benefiting from the video feed, Nick is miming shooting a bow and arrow. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, what do you and, got? And his Viking beard. Um, I have a couple that I think create or start off as what you think it's going to be, but somehow because of the voice or the characters, it gives us like a really different spin. Uh, one of them is called Cemetery Boys. Um, Aiden Thomas, I want to say. Um, I could be saying the author's last name wrong. Um, Cemetery Boys is one of them. Also, if anyone's never read Kate Elliott, this is one author you have to read because (laughs) Kate Elliott, Black Wolves. Black Wolves, yes. Uh, Oh, you guys talked about that on the last episode. We did talk about it. Such a good book. Okay, sorry. The reason I love this is because it does take certain foundations in fantasy but Kate interweaves a world that is really inclusive and takes from a bit of every culture. And Kate is a master of making it her own and making it fresh. Also not making it um, from a colonizer's perspective of any characters that are unlike her. And her pacing skills are like amazing She's been in the game for like 30 years, and I feel like she is still not as well-known as she should be. It's criminal that she is not more well-known. Kate Elliott should be considered a master of fantasy books. Like, she, her her world-building is a masterclass in world-building. If you want to know how to world-build, you read a Kate Elliott book. In fact, she's teaching a class at Clarion West next year, which I'm signing up for on world building. So, like, yeah, she's a master. And it's you're right, Will. It's a damn shame she's not more well-known. I, I personally think so. I think you guys had so. a conversation last time because I just recently edited the episode. And I was double-checking just now to make sure this was in my wish list because I really – And now after you showed me that cover of that book too, Will, I got to yeah. read that book. Looks amazing. Black wolves. I mean, this is just this is just her one book um, that yeah. she has. Um, yeah. She actually just came out with another one. Um, Unconquerable Sun. That, yeah, which I've read like three times already. Is and it came out during the summer, and it's also amazing. And Kate, I feel like with what's going to happen with Kate's careers, because I I really believe she's actually going to get huge within the next ten years. I really do. I think part of the reason unfortunately that she probably wasn't as popular is because when Kate started publishing, she was a woman, Mm. you know, and I think women in fantasy weren't always given the credit because Kate is, goes into the human psyche. 
just as much as I would say George R.R. Martin does, you know, um, and in a fantasy type of genre when she was first published, where you see the greats like Ursula Le Guin, I think what Ursula Le Guin and really made her famous is that she really started asking questions um, that latched on to the subconscious at that point of time where Kate was published. I mean, obviously I think what 20 years after Le Guin started, but I, I just think she is unfortunately uh, one of the most overlooked fantasy and science fiction writers. And she's goddamn Hands amazing. Down. Hands down. So on that note, I know we, we should wrap up. Um, I think this chapter was, I, I, like you said earlier, I think off mic will one of the best chapters so far in this book, if not the most important one, especially for those of us trying, especially in the revision stage, uh, what questions are we putting out there? Right. Um, for the reader. Oh. And, and what'd you say, Nick? I said, it highlights that towards the end of the chapter as well. Um, the last page of the chapter are one Oh seven. It, it, you know, your beginning and it goes through and asks you questions about it and things like that, that are applicable to the chapter. Um, so, I mean, if, if you guys got the book, like you got to look that up and read it because it's really going to help you revise a little bit better on that. I think, and it perfectly captures a review of the chapter as well. Yeah. I think too. Yeah, that last page does break down kind of what we all talked about. Uh, the questions are, did you reveal an emotional truth? Did you write about people doing, feeling, or planning something? Uh, and did you use any of these words, see, look, hear, listen, taste, notice, etc.? Um, those are really important, especially if you're revising and trying to figure out if you're pulling this off, like I said last episode. Are you pulling off the are you are you getting these questions out there to the reader? Sorry, I cut you off, Will. No, I was just gonna go over that. Like, um, there's the number three one is about, did you use any of these words like see, look, hear, listen, taste, notice, observe? And sometimes they're just indicating that you're telling and not showing. And so you're distancing yourself from readers. So as you review, these are great little tidbits that we all do when we put in our first draft. I mean, the amount of times I used the word like I listened or I, um, I look, you know, like I just feel like those are first mm-hmm. – manuscript lessons uh, when you're first beginning. So this is a really great one. And then our next uh, time that we meet, we'll get to be talking about plotting your course. I'm so excited. I actually read these chapters like a couple days before we talk about things. Yeah. I always reread it too, just because, and then I always pick out something new. I'm mm -hmm. like, Oh, I didn't see that the first time around. Well, Enjoy, listeners. This has been Just Keep Writing, a podcast for writers by writers to keep you writing. Check out our website at justkeepwriting.org. You can find links to our social media and Discord channel in the show notes, as well as any other links mentioned during the show. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is patreon.com slash justkeepwriting. Thanks for listening. Now just keep writing.